we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. Hi, I'm Liz Guinness, and welcome to this episode of Talking Australia. Today I'm joined by Charlie Massey, a former pastoralist and now regenerative farmer. After witnessing drought tear his beloved family property apart over decades, Charlie decided there had to be a better way. His seminal book, Call of the Reed Warbler, paints a vivid picture of a brighter future. I'm thrilled to be joined by Charlie today as we explore this incredibly important issue. Thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Australia, Charlie. Um, It's a complete uh, pleasure having you um, with us today. I've um, been a fan of yours for a while. I used to work on a magazine called Organic Gardener. Um, and I remember we did a we did I think a Q and A um, article with you, and I think that was kind of the first time I'd heard of you, and I was introduced to the whole idea of regenerative farming. And um, as someone who comes from a small country town uh, and a father who has a macadamia nut plantation, um, it was just lovely to to hear your thoughts on on how we're all connected and and what we you know what we put on the soil affects it so um, dramatically. So. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. No, it's great to be involved with uh, Australian Geographic. I did do a, a large article on the wool industry quite a few years ago when Dick Smith was sitting out there in his lovely garden office, etc. So it's a great organisation, Australian Geo. Yeah, I worked with Dick um, all those years ago in um, Terry Hills, that's what you're talking about, in, his bu- in the bush office out there. Yeah, it was a lovely, a really lovely spot full of, you know, emus and wallabies and snakes and, and all sorts of wildlife. You were born on property down near Cooma. Yeah, that's that right. right. I grew up um, about 40 k's out of Cooma on, a, on a, a farming property of about 3,000 acres, with, luckily with lots of bush. Yeah. And um, that was uh, bought by your grandfather, is that right? Yes, they bought the uh, farm in the uh, 20s when it was pretty much eaten out by rabbits. So uh, there's a lot of, since the settlement of the 1850s, the land around here had been really belted and... Uh, overgrazed and there was erosion creeks and so really I've spent much of my farming life trying to regenerate a lot of that. And when you say overgrazed sheep, largely sheep and cattle, is that right? Yes, largely sheep and cattle uh, and unfortunately now it's uh, enormous kangaroo pressure that's coming in from a nearby national park who unfortunately haven't got the funds to manage the numbers. So wow. combination okay. of things. So you grew up there with your, your father. I know that your your mum um, passed away when you were young um, and I guess you grew up out on the land. Yeah, I was left being an only child. I was left to my own devices pretty well. So um, I used to, pretty young, I used to roam out in the bush hunting rabbits initially with dogs and and then as I got older, say 10, 12, I was quite happy going up camping in the uh, National Park behind us. And uh, I guess formative influence was at primary school when I was about eight or nine, I had a wonderful teacher who was mad keen 
ornithologist, the birdo, and he really got me right into that. I was already interested, but uh, to have a, a professional showing you the nuances, etc., was just wonderful. Um, and I guess from there, that love of nature was born. Um... And then you went off to university in Canberra? Yeah, that's right. My great heroes were the, uh, the leading uh, animal behaviourists or ethologists of the time, Nico Tinberg and Conrad Renz, when, um, when that field was evolving. So I went to university at ANU to do a zoology course and uh, luckily also the first course in holistic thinking in Australia, uh, human ecology, was just beginning. So that was pretty exciting. If you think back on the 70s, you had, it was just post Rachel Carson, you had Paul Ehrlich and a whole lot of writers really exploding onto the scene in the 70s with the new environmental consciousness. So it was an interesting mm. time. Um, what was it that piqued your interest? I mean, obviously you had that connection to, to land and, and to nature. Um, what did you hope that you would do with your degree? Was it go back and farm or...? When I was 22, my father had a major heart attack and uh, I made the decision as an only child to go home and manage the farm and finish the uni part-time. So that's what happened there and that's when I started making a lot of mistakes in farming. When you say a lot of mistakes, you mean you were kind of following in the footsteps of the people that had come before and, and the techniques that they were using to farm the land? If you grow up on a farm, doesn't mean you know how to, how, how to actually farm uh, even, you know, traditionally. And so when I arrived home, I, I sought the best advice and read a lot what I thought was the best advice, which was really traditional industrial agriculture and tried to emulate the high performance, high production. And so I guess in my first at least 10 years, I did a lot of harm to the landscape rather than, you know, the ideas of regenerative agriculture really weren't on the horizon then. So, uh, to my great regret, I look back on that time and uh, realise, you know, I've done damage to the landscape. There was a drought in the 80s that kind of hit you guys really hard and then another one in the 90s again that sort of, you know, left the, the paddocks looking like deserts. And was it around about then that you thought there's got to be a different way of doing this? Or Yes, at the end of the 83 drought, which was a four or five year drought, we ended up um, with a dust bowl. I developed a merino stud, merino sheep breeding genetic business by then, which I thought was our most important asset, not realising that the landscape, a healthy landscape is your most valuable assets. And um, so to save the sheep and uh, we, we just kept too many and fed them and uh, they ate the grass down into dust really. Um, and we built a big debt and at the end of that, if you like, you could call it the head cracking moment that I had, I realised there had to be a better way but it was still too early for some of the new regenerative grazing and other ideas emerging. But by the early 90s, I started to adopt that, but we still had a merino stud, so I was, I was still caught between two stools. And it wasn't until, as you say, a second big drought that I realised, no, you know, all my beloved stud sheep, and we were developing some really interesting stuff that was animal welfare friendly, no mulesing, beautiful new fibres for... Italy and stuff, but we sold that business and uh, concentrated fully on regenerative grazing. And But already since the late 80s, we'd been planting lots of native trees where they'd been overcleared. Our, our granite country, which is about 40% of the farm, was once all beautiful grassy woodland. That was all overcleared. 
And we used to get hammered by wingless grasshopper plagues uh, and wondered why. And what I didn't realise was that once we got our ground cover up and a diversity of shrubs and grasses and spiders and insects and little insectivorous birds, um, they were the control mechanism of, of something out of kilter like the grasshoppers. And so since the late 80s, we haven't had a, um, a wingless grasshopper plague, whereas others not far away are still getting them. That was a real eye-opener that through... Um, a regenerative ecological approach, you, you could actually make things more profitable because when you got eaten out by the grasshoppers, you had an instant drought straight away. I guess for people who aren't familiar with regenerative um, agriculture, regenerative, regenerative farming, um, it would be useful for you to maybe give them a bit of an idea of, of what it is. When I started with industrial agriculture, it's basically about simplifying your landscape um, so you can plant monocultural crops or very simple one or two species pastures and it's about ignoring the environmental benefits of diverse insects and birds and, and just focusing on profitability and high production. Regenerative agriculture seeks to achieve the both of best worlds um, so you're aiming for through forms of ecological grazing and cropping, bringing back diversity into your grasslands, but also diversity back into your your shrub, uh, your tree breaks and, and those sorts of things, which brings back your pest control element. Um, and when you get your ground cover up, you, you store a lot more water because um, you have healthy, active, living soils again, which can store huge amounts of carbon and water and the roots are going deeper. And um, so it's sort of complete opposite of the industrial agriculture approach. But we're finding now that um, it's, it's more profitable because we, we don't have the high industrial inputs like fertilizers and chemicals and, uh, and, and expensive seed and those sorts of things. I think I, I heard you say um, in, a, in a TED talk that you did, and, and for anyone who's interested in, in, um, in regenerative farming, I'd recommend they, they go and Google that because it's, um, it's incredibly insightful um, and you share a lot of wonderful knowledge there. Um, but I remember you saying that I think it could um, reduce costs by about 90% um, if you move away from industrial farming to regenerative farming in terms of not having to use pesticides. Which seems like a huge figure. Well, it's not always the, uh, that's not a sort of universal case, but the leading proponents, um, and I write about them in my book, Call of the Reed Warbler, which is about this. Um, for, ex for example, there's a couple in Western Australia who started off with 600 acres, Ian and Di Haggerty is their name, um, and they were heavily in debt. They now farm 60,000 acres, uh, nearly most of it cropping, uh, but instead of using hugely expensive industrial fertilisers and chemicals and, and, and pesticides, they've, they've eliminated all that because they use uh, natural worm juice for the biology and uh, compost extract for, to feed the biology. And um, so they've eliminated about 90% of the huge costs involved in modern farming, the nitrogen, the fertiliser and the pesticides and weedicides, etc. So... That's, that's where that example comes from. It's, it's a real game changer and, and you build resilience into your landscape by not 
getting it bare all the time and all those sorts of things. Again, for people who haven't heard of you um, or regenerative farming, your book, The Call of, Call of the Re- Warbler, um, is a beautiful read and it's about um, regenerative farming, obviously, but you travelled around the world um, talking to people who were who are actually practising this sort of farming? It started from me doing a PhD in my late 50s back at uh, ANU at the Venice School of Society and Environment. I, I did it again in human ecology and I interviewed 80 leading Australian farmers um, for my PhD, um, asking the question, you know, why they'd turned to regenerative farming and what they did. And then subsequent to that, as that evolved into a book, I was privileged to travel um, to America and Europe, etc., and, and work for a while with Patagonia as well in the States. Um, just just probing these issues and, and some of the wonderful thinkers privileged to meet a, a, probably the, the modern father figure of regenerative agriculture, Wendell Berry in Kentucky, who's written some brilliant stuff. So yeah, it was a privileged journey and that's what led to the book. And um, I believe you have a beautiful story about the title of the book as well. You were with your grandson at the time? Um, I wasn't. No, my grandson, uh, this is quoted in the TED Talk. Um, that story, yeah, it's a lovely story. Uh, he was about seven and he and his father and I were driving into Cooma about half an hour to watch him play soccer. And as we drove in, we passed a neighbour with a big spray rig booming out uh, Roundup or glyphosate to kill the paddock so they could plant a monoculture. And Hamish, all of seven, looked at me and said, um, Grandpa, why do you have to uh, kill things to grow things? And I couldn't answer him. What a brilliant question. Um, and I guess now and, and since I, I can now tell him, well, you don't have to kill things to grow things. You can encourage diversity through other means. but. The title for my book, um, Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth. Yeah, that came from a, a visit to a friend of mine just out of Canberra who had, had used techniques to regenerate his creek that Peter Andrews has popularised and others. And when we drove out um, to, to visit his creek, the, we drove past a neighbour's farm which was uh, upstream of him and it was all dirt and, and there was salt there was erosion and when we got to my friend's farm it, it was uh, the erosion had all healed the creek was running instead of being dry there was a lot of green pasture either side and so when we got down to the creek we were standing beside a, only a small patch of reeds and it was probably the first time in a long while the reeds had been back in the creek a waterboard a water bird must have brought them back in and while we were chatting this reed warbler called from out of the reeds and it was to me as a keen bird it was really significant because that was probably the first time in 150 years that a reed warbler had returned to that creek and to that valley and, and I just thought wow what a great metaphor for farmers regenerating landscape back to health. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au 
forward slash Talking Australia. What I'm continually fascinated by um, is the idea that um, about the microbiome in the soil and how kind of it all it all starts there. You've got healthy soil, you've got healthy everything. Um, and I've heard you kind of explain it in terms of you've got a plant growing, obviously, and it's got like um, little solar panels on its leaves that obviously there's the sunlight, um, photosynthesis and how that whole process works. Are you, are you able to talk me through how that all works in terms of, you know, the cycle of it all? Yeah, sure. I think the whole process of what really drives the planet um, is plants converting sunlight by grabbing carbon dioxide, they turn it into sugars, uh, which is then released other than the plant rebuilding further leaves, etc. But it's released into the soil as sugars and exudates, which is what feeds the soil biology. And that soil biology um, is then capable of um, turning that into long leaf carbon. So that's, that's, you know, if you think about our modern industrial society, where dependent on uh, the fossil fuels that were originally plants and oil and coal and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what's of really hugely crucial significance is that the more green plants you can put on your farm and keep it green for as long as you can, the more sugars you're driving into the soil, the more biology you're feeding. And I'm talking about microbes, which you can't see, bacteria and fungi and things like that. Uh, and lots of other little critters, um, but also, you know, your earthworms and all sorts of nematodes, all sorts of critters in between. But that you could almost define regenerative agriculture as having really biologically alive, healthy soil because that's what drives everything. So the more you've got these microbes um, looking after soil health and, and uh, combating disease and, and they, they have a partnership and really healthy soils, the scientists call this quorum sensing. You have an extraordinary relationship between your bacteria and others and the plants so that you get to this tipping point where if a plant, say, is lacking nitrogen, it says, hey, I need some nitrogen. And, and the communication isn't English or Latin. It's, it's actually um, chemical in the form of hormones, etc. And so that signal goes off to the microbes that the plant needs nitrogen and the, and the bacteria called rhizobia bacteria that are experts at fixing nitrogen, they come along and attach to the plant and provide nitrogen. That's just one example. The same applies if there's a disease, uh, bacterial or, or viral disease attacking the plants. The plants in, in a really healthy soil will, will yell out and, uh, and the, the attack Defenders, if you like, uh, in the microbial world will come along and assist that. So it's an extraordinary um, uh, arrangement of symbiosis when you get stuff to a healthy state. But when, when you simplify that, as in industrial agriculture, you lose all that extraordinary collaboration of, of disease prevention and, and chemical satisfaction, etc. And... Um, the exciting thing about healthy soil full of biology is that that enables the plant roots to go deeper and deeper to access nutrients and the, the roots they put down is, is how you can store a lot more water in the soil and it prevents compaction and so on. So 
you, know, you could almost define regenerative agriculture as beginning with healthy um, photosynthesis and solar function, which impacts your healthy soil biology, which in turn impacts the way you can um, store more water. And, and then along from all of that comes your, your healthy biodiversity component, you know, your insects and, and your animals and your critters that thrive in that sort of environment. And, and so in my teaching and lecturing, and I didn't invent this, but it's just packaging it into a simple message, you've really got those four key landscape functions to get to maximum health, to really drive the whole healthy landscape. And that's, you know, the solar, the soil mineral, the water cycle and the um, biodiversity. So it's 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 not rocket science if you do it properly. And I guess the thing is, is if we look at it on a, you know, on a smaller scale, it, it's great for... Um, that patch of land and whatever it is you're trying to farm on that patch of land um, it's more productive but if you take it a much wider view it's you actually taking care of the planet absolutely right yes uh, we now know um, that our planet has moved into a dangerous new era after the sort of 10 or 12,000 years of the ideal climatic conditions for humans that are called the Holocene which you know started about twelve thousand years ago after the ice ages, and and it, and it was ideal for we humans and others because you had the ideal temperature range and uh, right carbon dioxide levels, uh, which allowed plants to thrive, and so humans domesticated early cereal plants and then sheep and goats and things and cattle. But once we discovered the buried fossil fuels, uh, and even before that. Uh, modern agriculture has a record of destroying um, the environment in which it works through monocultures of plants and overgrazing. And so our track record is terrible. But once we then discovered coal and then oil and started to release excess carbon dioxide, which we were also doing through creating deserts and clearing country, the carbon dioxide levels has now tipped us into this new new era called the Anthropocene, the human-made, and it's highly dangerous. We, we, you know, there's been so much on it, I don't have to belabor it, but the key things that have been destabilised is obviously carbon dioxide climate, but humans have now triggered the sixth greatest extinction event on Earth of species at an alarming rate. Um, we've destabilised the water cycle and the soil mineral cycle, uh, phosphorus and nitrogen and... Uh, because of the excess carbon we're putting up, it's now that's being absorbed into the oceans as acid, and it's turning the oceans more acidic, which is, has major, you know major consequences. So um, the exciting thing is that what regenerative agriculture does is turn all that around. We pull down carbon dioxide and, and, and put it away. We regenerate the water cycle. We stop the erosion um, and increase biodiversity. So it's it's. You know, I'm working with um, a friend, one of the leading thinkers in this space called Paul Hawken, who over the last few decades is one of the leading thinkers and writers in, um, in the area of, uh, of biodiversity and uh, similar issues. And uh, a couple of years ago, he published a major book called Drawdown, and he got 80 or more scientists to look at the best 100 methods of pulling down carbon dioxide. And when I got to know him, we discussed it, and, and the top 20 best methods, half of them were regenerative ag. 
And we said, well, what happens if we call them, call that 10, Regen Ag? It, it's number one by a country mile at addressing this climate and the other issues, therefore. So that's, that's really exciting stuff, I would have thought. Um, I just, um, I also want to touch on something um, that I think perhaps is a is a big issue and, and maybe driving change as well. I mean, obviously taking care of the planet and making the most out of yields um, is important. Um, but I want to talk about um, how regenerative agriculture might help with people's mental health as well. Um, I can only imagine if you're a, a farmer, you love your land and to watch it, you know, be decimated through drought and, and industrial farming practices uh, must be soul-destroying. Um, do, you, do you have memories of, of how you might have felt when that was happening to you and, you know, the droughts were bat battering you around? I definitely do, Liz. Um, and I'm going to answer this in two parts because the, the uh, human physical health and, and mental health are both critically impacted by Regen Ag. So when I was trapped in the 80s drought with a debt growing and a desolate landscape and not knowing how to handle it, yeah, I'm sure I was in a form of uh, depression. And in fact, uh, Professor Jackie Skirm at University of Canberra, who we actually did our PhDs together, um, but she's now been looking at mental health in farmers and is regular now. Um, surveys every year and is building a significant database and, and she now has startling evidence that regenerative the, the, the mental health of regenerative farmers is is much better than uh, your traditional industrial farmers and i suspect it's for the similar reasons that i experienced where you just feel trapped and life doesn't seem as rewarding and exciting as this more open-ended way of farming that we, we find regenerative agriculture is but but look, the second component, which is just as important, um, is the impact of healthy soils, healthy agriculture on human health. And um, you've already raised the issue of the microbiological world, the microbiome in the soil, which are almost the same critters in our gut. Now, uh, our gut is almost the same size as our brain. It's our second brain, if you like. And that's where the critical um, absorption of nutrients that are prepared by the microbes in the right chains and format occurs. Uh, but if we, if we, I'll give you an example of, of the importance of the microbes. If, if you look at a, at a healthy soil, one of the critical uh, critters in the soil is the root fungus, what are called microhousal fungi. And they, they have a partnership with the plants. The plants release their sugars. That's what feeds the, the fungi. But their part of the bargain is to go off and access the hundreds of nutrients and, and, um, uh, and chemicals and minerals, etc., for the plants. That's how they get most of their food. And in a cubic metre of healthy soil, the microtubes of these fungus, it could be 25,000 kilometres of them, and they're just in a cubic metre, all working away to get those nutrients for the plants. But if you then go and plough, over-fertilise, spray, kill off the biology, you've really got drug addict crops that are waiting for their synthetic dose of fertilisers, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, etc. But you've lost 90%, you've lost a huge amount of the, uh, the really valuable stuff. And it's the valuable stuff that over millions of years we have co-evolved 
you know, out of Africa, et cetera, to use for our, our physical health, um, for our immune system and, and other performance. And that's one key component. The other one is that the evidence is mounting that the modern uh, herbicide uh, known as Roundup or uh, glyphosate, it is having devastating impact on our on the microbiome in our gut by interfering with the chemical pathways and healthy absorption. And it's now strongly implicated in many of the modern diseases, both mental and physical. So, but, and yet we still legally spray it on our crops and can use it to kill off our weeds and, and all sorts of things, yeah? Yeah, it's, it's, it's starting to be banned internationally. Um, it's three or four countries now that have looked at the, at the research and the massive court cases when Monsanto has now been bought out by Bayer, they've put aside $18 billion to pay off people that are getting non-Hodgkinson's lymphoma, etc. So the evidence is there, but the power of this lobby and of economic rationalist governments like ours just refuse to budge. And um, But uh, I think the tide is growing. That The problem is that... Uh, the future chemicals available are even worse and they're starting to be put into what's called genetically modified ready so that the croppers can spray right at the end of harvest to dry out the seed and that chemical gets into our bodies that way too. So um, all the more reason to turn to Regen Ag for healthy soils, healthy people, healthy animals, etc. I, I, it constantly astounds me that um, we think that we need to use poison to grow food that we, you know, that obviously that we ingest. It just, it, it just seems nonsensical in so many ways. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and we can grow much healthier food full of rich nutrients to help our immune system if we uh, don't use them. And, uh, you know, your backyard veggie garden, everyone in the city can get into healthy tomato and spinach and lettuce with, you know, good letting your, your soil biology get going, keeping the ground covered and feeding it with organic food you know, compost or something. And um, it's not it's not rocket science, but uh, the power of the, uh, the big multinationals that are behind the industrial chemicals and machinery and fertilisers is, is just enormous. So I guess this is a really good point to ask. If, if people want to start regen farming, if you've got, I mean, obviously, if you've got a backyard veggie patch, then obviously you're not going to be doing it on the scale of the large farmers. But if someone wants to start down that path, what, what would you suggest they do? Um, to start planting natives or... How does it? How does one begin? Absolutely, that's what the first way you, one of the first ways you can start getting uh, native plants which support all our insects and birds to maintain a healthier ecosystem. If you're worried about food, and we should be, um, there's lots of good things in, in cities like Melbourne and Sydney, for example. Uh, there's, there's permaculture um, groups that show you how to grow diverse backyard of food and, and natives. Um, there's lots of organic suppliers now and a and, uh, place in Melbourne it's called Ceres. There's a huge organic garden that's also an education faculty and I'm sure Sydney has them. You've got lots of good providors providing you know, good meats and, and vegetables and all those sorts of things uh, who will then put you on to the different organisations. that uh, and, and community gardens, they're flourishing and, and forming your own community garden amongst neighbours down there. You know, and I, I know a friend I was talking to in Sydney said when he first... Uh, got his own backyard chooks. Everyone thought he was mad, but he said in now half the street have their own chooks growing healthy eggs full of good nutrients and not sort of fed grain full of poison or uh, grown in a, um, an animal welfare unfriendly environment. So uh, 
every small step is huge in turning this around. And uh, every time we plant something and it's healthy and pulls down more carbon dioxide, we're, we're helping. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with, with our listeners um, about your work, um, what you see for the future, how you feel about it all? Look, I'm, I'm uh, really excited for the future in one way. I know the Anthropocene is bearing down on us, but regenerative agriculture, which involves not just people supporting its produce, but doing their own form of regen ag in the backyard or helping land care plant diverse natives or planting your own garden. And uh, everyone can play a key role. And I'm still optimistic enough to think that if, if we turn this around and get away from the harmful practices that both urban and rural people can collectively put our shoulder to the wheel and, and address those big planetary issues confronting us and especially the human health crisis which is now starting to accelerate at such an alarming pace. So I'm optimistic and so I would encourage them get involved locally, read what you can, buy the healthy food off the healthy providers and um, we can all play a part. I think um, that's something that we can all certainly um, take away from this conversation and, and yeah do our little part and, and try to make a difference. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today, Charlie. It's been a pleasure talking with you um, and I hope that you might want to come back and join us another time and we can, we can talk all things um, regenerative farming and more. No, pleasure, Liz, and, uh, and as I say, I'm a great admirer of Australian Geographic and keep up the good work. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at Australian Geographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.